Second Thessalonians is a, is a follow-up letter to the Thessalonians to bring clarity um, to, to the first Thessalonians letter. Uh, and as he begins it, uh, he, he has his typical greeting, but then in verse 3, he begins out by writing, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you and the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Tonight, we're going to examine three of the foremost abstract terms that Paul uses in this passage of Scripture. And he uses them to exemplify the church at Thessalonica. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, Lord, your word. We thank you that we can open it and divide it, and we can uh, search out the riches within, dear Lord, and we can take those and apply them to our lives, dear Lord, to make us stronger servants for you and stronger servants to those around us. Lord, we thank you for all the many blessings, and we pray that you would bless this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So these three foremost abstract terms that Paul uses in this uh, scripture passage. We want to look at, first of all, faith, and then love, and then patience. Faith, love, and patience. So beginning with faith, uh, in the first part of verse 3 there, when Paul says, we ought always to give thanks to you. I like the old King James Version because it says we are bound to give thanks to you. You see, there's no... There's no decision to be made. We're bound to give thanks. Why? Because they're doing the will of God. They're doing the very things that have been laid out for them in the early church. They're performing these things in the will of God and as God would have them to do. So we are bound to give thanks. Now, there's no option for this thankfulness. Nonetheless, it's our duty to do so as well in the modern-day church and in the modern-day uh, church gatherings in the modern day people is we are bound as well to give thanks when we have people among us doing the will of God and so there's an inclination here with Paul that due to their evident and abundant and flourishing faith in the gospel he's going to give thanks for them he's excited about them he sees what God's doing in their lives and listen, we'll get into it in a few more minutes, but it's under adverse circumstances as well. But Paul is thankful for them. Now, a mature Christian faith is a life-influencing element that has an effect on those in our lives. A mature Christian faith will affect other people around you. It might be in your household. It may be in your workplace. It may be in the church. And it may just be in the neighborhood. But a mature Christian will affect those around them. Why? Because they notice their walk, just as Paul noticed the walk of the Thessalonians. So in the body of believers, the effect is complementary to the work of the church. So what do we mean? As Paul looks on and he admonishes and he, he lifts up these Thessalonians because of the work they're doing for Christ, it is evident in their body that they are performing those things that God would have them to do in the early church and in the early days. But it's complementary to the work of the church. So it's also in harmony. 
There's never, there's never these people uh, in Thessalonica as it was being done. There's never these people that go out on their own and doing their own will. They seek to do the will of God. They also seek to do it as a team. Uh, we do a lot with the, the team concept today, uh, in the, especially in the workplaces. Some of you that, uh, that have, a, 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 especially the larger companies that have HR departments and they stress teamwork and, you know, team this, team that. And it's a great concept. But we know that all the time it's not the same conceptual desire for everybody that's in it. Uh, sometimes people still want to do it their way. That wasn't the case with these Thessalonians. They were, they were doing the very things that the church needed them to do. And in this body of believers, it was complementary. Now, to the secular world, this effect of, of people working for Christ, being Christ-like, showing Christ in their life, and standing firm for those things that they believe, this is offensive to the world. Why? Because the gospel's offensive. You see, the gospel of Christ draws a dividing line. There's no gray area and there's no riding the fence. We're either saved or we're lost. It's a dividing line that is offensive to the world. Why? Because they don't like that connotation of being on the lost side. But what do we do on the saved side? We pray for them. We seek them. We show the love to them that's uncharacteristic in their world they live in. And we show the love amongst ourselves that Paul's going to talk about in a minute that is definitely uncharacteristic in the eyes of the world. So typically we are perceived as zealots and all the connotations that go with it. Now that term, it, when Paul says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers as is right. Now, as is right, that term is axios in the original Greek. It's axios. And that means that it is proper and deserved. Wait a minute. Don't we have some Christian teachings uh, that are a little out there on the edge that say we don't deserve anything? That we're non-deserving? We, we deserve nothing but death and hell? Yet God, through his grace... Well, in, in light of our sins, that's exactly right. In light of our sins. But Paul distinctly and clearly claims here, you deserve the, the praise that I'm going to give you because you're doing exactly as God has instructed you to do. So it is deserved. And Paul was quite clear there. So how do, how do we bring that into the modern day church? 2022. It's still deserved today. If you're not complimenting those people that are strong in the faith and may have been a leader or a mentor for you, you've dropped the ball. You've dropped the ball. Do we need to praise them and bring them up as some type of icon or God? No, not at all. But we need to praise their steadfastness, which we'll also talk about in a minute. Paul was cl quite clear that it is deserved as they had earned it. So there's actually accolades to be given that are proper, and that's per the Apostle Paul. Don't quote me on it, quote him. Paul's praise for this body of believers was due to their faith, and listen, their trust in the gospel. Their trust in the gospel. Praise for another brother or sister in Christ for their obedience in the body is not only warranted, but it's proper and right per Paul. What's the next of these terms that Paul 
abstractly brought out is love, is love. Now, this term Paul uses love, it is the charitable love. It's the charitable love that is made possible only through our faith. We coin it and, and term it as the original Greek in agape love. It's an agape love. Now, what are the characteristics of an agape love? Well, I'll tell you this, Jeff, the world won't understand it. They'll see, you, they'll see you perform it. They'll see you show it. They'll see you manifest it in your life, and they won't understand it. They'll wonder where that came from. They'll wonder how you can love a person that has maybe uh, committed a, a heinous crime against someone in your family, and yet you forgive them. I've seen it time and time and time again. Sentencing trials in a courtroom. I've seen strong Christian faith stand in front of that person that may have even killed their child and say, I forgive you. Now, you explain that on a human level. It's agape love, and it's only possible through the saving effect of Christ. It's only possible there. This love agape that remains a mystery to the unregenerate world, and it'll always be a mystery if they do not accept Christ. They'll never understand it, and listen, they'll never be capable of it. They'll never be capable of that agape love that has no boundaries and doesn't seek out anything other than forgiveness itself. He also indicated that the love for the brethren is increasing. Paul was excited to see not only do you love each other, not only have I heard about you loving each other, but I'm seeing it. I'm seeing the increase. The last time I was here, you was loving each other, but man, look at it now. So it was ever increasing. Paul was excited. He was excited for those Thessalonians. So this love is increasing. And these indicators are the sacrifice of resources that we have been blessed with and the sharing of burdens between the brothers and sisters. Isn't that a hard thing to, even conceptually to do is to share a burden? Someone that's got a burden and you say, man, I got my own burdens. I don't know if I can share anymore. And yet we still do it. Yet we still pray. We have needs in our own lives, and yet we pray just as hard for a brother and a sister in Christ that, that needs prayer. It's not a natural thing to do, but it's a God thing to do. And we share with them. When we share in those burdens, it's heartfelt. It's heartfelt. When you know someone that has just as much need in their life is putting forth prayer and supplications for you, that's a wonderful feeling. That's a wonderful feeling of love, and it cannot be replaced with anything from the world not one thing from the world but the love for the brethren was increasing the closer we draw to the savior the more lovely we become to him and listen it's evident in our lives the closer we draw to christ the cr closer we draw to christ's likeness it's evident in our lives and it's dear to god God sees us as a value, valued possession when we're doing his will. When we're seeking to please him, that's where God wants us to be. Yet my sin nature strives for me to remain unlovely. And that battle with the flesh is many times lost in this body. Many times it's lost because of the sin nature. Our unloveliness to God removes the fellowship with him. And listen, it traps us in a state of disobedience. And when we're trapped in that state of disobedience, there's nothing in our lives pleasing to God. 
When we, we regard iniquity in our heart, there's a barrier that's put up between our fellowship with God and Him. We can't fellowship with God. And I don't know about you, I've been in that state and am still able to get in that state. And I am miserable. I am miserable when I'm out of fellowship with God. So what do we do? Run to the cross. Run to the cross. God is just as willing to forgive our sins as we're willing to get rid of them. And he loves it when we, when we confess our sins. That's why we have confession prayer every Sunday morning. Do you know how important it is before we open on Sunday mornings and divide the word of God to clear the playing field, to clear the slate, get all those iniquities laid aside, get them, as the old preacher said, fessed up, get it all out in the open with God and get it off of our plate so that we can worship in a manner that he's only deserving of. So important. So then the aura of this unconditional love that Paul commends the Thessalonian church for, it's often masked by iniquity that we might also harbor in our hearts. And the world sees us at this time, listen, no different than they are. Do you know the believer in Christ can imitate an unbeliever? Do you know, I'm going to get real candid here, as I heard in a sermon, because it hit home to me so much many, many years ago. Do you know you can look like hell? Do you know you can smell like hell? Do you know you can act like hell? You can appear just as a lost person to the lost and dying world, and you know what they think? There's nothing different about him. There's nothing different about her. They preach all this church stuff to me, and I don't see any difference in their life. There's no difference. I don't want any of that. That's exactly what the world will say. So we can appear to be the lost person when we're completely out of fellowship with God. Jesus states that the world will know us for our love by one another. Our love for one another will be the indicator that we're his. He says that we will be known by our love for one another. Now, why is that so unique? Why is that such an indicator of the real Christian? Because the world can't explain it. Once again, it's that love that they look on and they cannot explain it. It's when you go out of your way, Jason, and you do that thing for somebody and they say, where did that come from? And it's when there's, it's inexplicable to the world. And yet they know, they say, boy, that's great, but I don't know how he done that. The world cannot explain it, and they never will. So here's a question. Does Rock Hill and the surrounding community, do they know us? Do they know Park Baptist Church? And here's where the rubber hits the road. Do they know you? It's important for them to know us and it's ultimate important for them to know that we belong to Christ. Lastly, Paul spoke of patience. Now, he finally praises the patience of the Thessalonian church in trials and tribulations that they were experiencing. He relates there in verse 4 that he promotes them to other churches as an example to be imitated. He states that their steadfastness in the midst of their persecution and afflictions. Now, steadfastness in the Greek, listen, means to stand under, to stand under and support. Think, if you will, a, a table leg, big four, 
four-legged table and one of those big legs that stands there steadfast. All the load you can put on that table, it stands there steadfast. That's what that word means. And steadfastness is an indicator, again, and it is a quality of the Christian that, once again, the world cannot, they cannot explain. They cannot explain, and they marvel at it many times. But sadly enough, many times they resent for it. They resent the Christian. They resent the way we react to situations. They resent the way we treat other people. They don't think other people are deserving. They don't think somebody maybe a, a little lowlier in their eyes are worthy of our love, and especially not worthy of their love. They don't understand it. So Thessalonica was a city at this time under Roman control. And what that means is that uh, Roman was, uh, they, they headed up the, the city. They had control in the city. They had all the power in the city. And Thessalonians, they were, just, they were just there. They were just there trying to work their way through. Now, if, you, if you've studied any history or in biblical and secular, you'll know that Roman was a Rome and uh, the Romans were a wicked, wicked society. Debauchery on every hand. Um, sexual perversion on every hand, openly. It was just a wicked, wicked sect of people. So they were, they were growing in Christ. Now, do you see Paul's excitement? Can you imagine his excitement? Because he's praying for them. He's out on the road, and he's thinking, oh, I had to leave them in that wicked place, under that wicked rule, dealing with those wicked people. And he returns to Thessalonica, and there they are thriving. They're thriving. The church is growing. They're growing in their love for one another. Paul is really pleased, and he thanks God for them. They've got a lot against them. They've got a lot against them. But wickedness is all forms of the things that we see sometimes today. I've heard many, many times that if, if you knew what was happening in that time, uh, that, that it would be very comparable to the things of today. Well, listen, from the garden, wickedness has always been. It always will be. And here's the sad thing. Although it's the true thing, and it's an element of our faith, we're never going to conquer it. We have to cope with it. We have to overcome it. It's not going to be conquered because if you read Revelation, you understand exactly what the state of the world will be when the Antichrist comes on the scene. But wickedness in all forms were rampant. Now, when we consider this world that we, we live in and strive to be followers of Christ in, we must pray for this patience Paul's talking about. We need to pray for our patience. We need to pray for the patience of our brothers and sisters. We need to pray for the patience of our church as we operate and function in the wicked society that we live in. 1 Peter 4, I'm going to read 12 through 16. And Paul considered them under trials. He sees the trials and tribulations in their lives. And Peter here, he writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when glory is revealed. 
If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the Spirit of glory and God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, listen, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Peter speaks here of a discipline that God uses to teach us patience. I, I got news for you, and I hate to burst anybody's bubble, but when you accepted Christ and you became a Christian, there was never an entrusting document that, that lets you know you were going to be good to go from then on. That's not what it's about. God said, put your nose and put your, your hand to the plow and don't look back because those fields are tough. And plowing in this world is tough, and it's going to get tougher. Uh, I feel for our children. I feel for the world that we're forced to leave our children. So what do we do? We do the best we can. We try to, we try to mimic these Thessalonians. We pray for each other. We lift each other up. We try to advance our agendas as a body. We try to advance our missions as a body. We try to grow our children into the same mold that, that is spoken of here, young Thessalonians. We try, to, we try to bring up another era, another uh, uh, a set of people from a different age that's going to have totally different things to deal with in their lives. But we're not to give up. We're not to give up. We have to put our hand to that plow. Now, God does not delight in our correction but there is a chastisement for willful sin as well that he speaks of in these verses from Peter. God will chastise us for willful sin in our lives. If you're following Christ today in obedience and submission, but are not in any kind of trials, listen to me, you hang on. There's one around the corner. I could go around this room tonight. And there's not a one of you in here that couldn't speak of a trial that you've dealt with in your life. And I can assure you, if you're not in one now, get ready. They just come for the Christian. They're here for the Christian. How we react is a direct correlation of the qualities that Paul was admonishing these Thessalonians for. How we react to those trials and tribulations in our life. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's tough. It's tough. But you know what? God never leaves us. He never leaves us and he never forsakes us. And listen, you may get in that one dark corner way off and who knows where, but God knows where you're at. He knows where you're at and he will not leave you. He'll be there with you. When we suffer simply for being a follower of Christ, as Peter says here, he says to glory in it as being obedient to the Father. That's a tough thing to do, but only the mature Christian can do that. Ultimately, brothers and sisters, we do not need to get too comfortable here because this life is but a vapor anyway, and this wicked world's not our home. So we're not to be very comfortable anyway. 150 years ago, Charles Spurgeon wrote this. I want you to listen. He said, the present age is so flippant 
that if a man loves the Savior, he is a fanatic. And if he hates the powers of evil, he is a bigot. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar to 2022? Because it is. It has not changed, and it will not change. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time, Lord, to open and divide your word. And we thank you for uh, Paul's revelation of the, the things that were happening in, in Thessalonica, dear Lord, and, and how we can model and mold ourselves after their faith, love, and patience. Lord, I pray that you would continually uh, pour those truths out among Park Baptist Church, dear Lord, that you would help us to always remain faithful, uh, to love the brothers and sisters, to love the ministry, to love the works, and most of all, love you. And then, Lord, we pray for that patience. We deal with such a wicked world, dear Lord, and such obstacles in our way to be uh, servants that you would have us to be. We just pray that you would help us to overcome and to stand fast, dear Lord, stand under these loads that are placed in our lives and just help us to cope with them in a, in a Christian-like manner, dear Lord, in something that would be pleasing to you. Lord, we pray that you would take the remainder of this time tonight, dear Lord, as we lift up our prayers and petitions that you would touch us uh, you, you would touch us in a way that would burden our hearts for those that are in need around us, and you would help us to call out their names, dear Lord, and lay them before your throne. And, Lord, we pray that your will would be done in all that we say and do, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.